only actually vault maybe two times a week. As long as in a session, they do the key point, which is going to be a high bar, which is going to be pommel and some sort of acrobatics every session. If we don't hit vault in a session, then we're going, we'll do lots of stuff on trampoline. We'll play games. We'll do some landings. We'll do some stuff into the pit. And mixing it up, maybe playing games, doing something different, is going to encourage them to continually love this sport for a start and not get bored of it. And yeah, I mean, how many times can you do a handstand flatback before you go, oh, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. and welcome back to another episode of The Shift Show. My number one goal is to bring you the tools, ideas, and the latest science to help you change gymnast lives. Today in the podcast, so stoked to have on Pete Etherington to talk all about vault. So this is an area that I know a lot of people want help with, you know, whether it's running drills, whether it's getting a proper block, whether it's getting over the fear, right? There's so many pieces of vault that are really hard for a lot of young coaches to, to help athletes develop with. And I think that vault is challenging sometimes because it's only one skill and there's just so many things that kind of have to go right. But Pete really breaks down, you know, you know, what are some of the concepts he understands about running well, hitting the board well, about how do you actually know when it's ready to put something on a hard surface or if you're flipping for the first time, there's so many really important things he covers. And I wanted to make sure we had him on in lieu of his fantastic lecture. He's going to give at the symposium on vault uh, mechanics for causes. And just share with the entire community about some really important things that people should take to mind when they're considering uh, vault progressions and vault ideas, and particularly about around the fear aspect and maybe getting the twisties and some pieces like that. So it's a really great conversation. We dive pretty deep and have lots of really usable nuggets. I think anybody in gymnastics can, can take home with them. So would love for everyone to uh, definitely check this one out. If you are interested in his lecture and the other vault lectures that we're going to have at the symposium, definitely check out 2023 Shift Symposium by going to www.shiftmovementscience.com backslash 2023 Shift Symposium. Uh, tickets are kind of close closing now. So you can get on the live aspect right now. Also group rates available, but you want to make sure you do that soon because the live tickets are probably going to close or when this podcast comes out relatively soon. So make sure you jump on that. But if you just want to enjoy the podcast, I would just do me a huge favor. Just top and uh, rate and review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening and leave us a review, but also just go ahead and share this with your coaching friends or with people online, because that really does help grow the podcast organically. So hope you all enjoy this wonderful vaulting conversation with Pete. All right, Pete, my friend, how are you? It's good to finally face to face connect. Nice to meet you. I'm good. Thanks. I'm good. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. And uh, I think there are a lot of exciting things to cover, not to spoil any future or past episodes, but Will is a connection, which ironically, I literally just recorded the podcast with him. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. He's got a lot to get from him. Absolutely, man. And so, yeah, I think this is a great opportunity to, I'm selfishly just trying to pick the brains of honestly, people that are probably smarter than me in gymnastics and try to just share that information across the world. So I would love to maybe chat about some of your background, how you got to where you are, what you're doing now, and then, and then dig specifically into vault. You know, vault, I think is on the men's side, something a lot of people struggle with to, you know, get high level vaulting. And so I'd love to kind of dive yeah. down those rabbit holes if you're okay with it. Of course. Yeah. Fire away. Fire away. So let's start with that. Let's start with, you know, your, your quick little overview path to uh, your gymnastics background and kind of where you got uh, personally, and then how that led you to, you know, the coaching that you're doing right now. That's a really quick one. Um, nothing. I didn't, I didn't do gymnastics at all. I'd done a little bit when I was in school. My background is martial arts. Okay. So I was doing, I, I was coaching and I was also training to quite a high level. Um, there used to be some, some competitions when we had to do a gymnastic element. So I went mm. along to my nearest gym and said, can you teach me an element? It needs to be a top back or a flippy thing. And I thought uh, I was, <laughs> they tried to teach me how to do free carbo. Within three weeks of that, my men's coach left. And they've asked mm -hmm. me to condition them. So they asked me if I could do just some basic conditioning with a group of like little guys. They were between eight and 10 mm -hmm. and they're very low level. So I said, mm -hmm. yeah, I can do that. Um, it, 
Training in martial arts is a little bit different to gymnastics. Martial arts, you do it yourself. So if it's conditioning, you're at the front and you're showing off, you lead by example. Mm. Here now, I'm lucky. You know, I can I can support and I can do my thing while I drink coffee and everything's great. <laughs> but there, it's a little bit different. So we started to train on those ones. After about a month, they said, would you like to go on a course so you can kind of know what you're talking about? I said, yeah. So I went on the course. It was with a very good guy called Paul Hall. So mm. he taught me quite a lot of stuff going along the way. Um, within... A month after that, unfortunately, I prolapsed the disc in my back. Mm. So I couldn't do martial arts anymore. I couldn't train. I couldn't lift people. I couldn't demonstrate. Yep. So I could, however, still stand in the corner and tell kids what to do and, you know, make fun games, enjoy ourselves, do everything else. So that's how I got actually into the main aspect of it. I it's then um, stayed at that gym for seven years uh, as a volunteer. And then after that, I made the decision to move and go to another gym. So it meant an, an hour and 15 minutes in the car every day to get to gym, an hour and 15 minutes back again. But it was a purpose-built facility, and it's, I think, one of the best in the country. Mm. So that's how I kind of got into it. That's amazing. Um, I, not to jump in, but there's something I noticed, which is my coach, seems like Will's backstory, your backstory, Nick Ruddick's backstory is not the best gymnast, but just with the curiosity and desire to learn, just became phenomenal coaches. And I, I like love that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I think it's good. I don't think sometimes, I mean, definitely having a, a background in gymnastics, knowing all the elements, knowing what they are. For me, it was a little bit, it was hard to teach pummel and to teach rings. If you if you can't do a double leg circle or anything, to understand that and where to push, where to pull, when to go is quite tricky. For me, if I understood it biomechanically, then I was okay. It's my favorite mm. thing. Um, or if I could support it. So Parallel bars was great for me. High bar, great for me. Vault, I understood it well once I understood floor. The ones that came later to me were things like rings and pummel, yeah. So it's a little bit tricky on that one. But I don't think you have to be an amazing gymnast to be a good coach. I think you can be a good coach and not ever having done gymnastics before. Mm, that's great. And kind of, I, I would love to ask you the same question I asked Will, which is you make it sound so easy, which is, you know, I took some rec kids and then I learned this and I learned this and voila, here I am. It's like, you know, knowing a lot and teaching courses. So are there things that you find are very important you see in yourself or other coaches to continue to, to gain levels and kind of es escalate up the, the, maybe the difficulty tier of, of teaching high level gymnastics? I just have a few like golden rules, if I'm honest. Um, for, for me, there has to be some clear goals for the gymnast and also for us. So what are we doing? Why are we there? Are we just in it because we enjoy coaching kids? It's a one-hour fun class. Are you aiming to move more county level, more regional level, going up up, up the you know the tier? Our goal for everybody is also to you know produce an Olympian. That was that was my goal after I was coaching for about 10 years. I thought, you know, I'd love to be able to do this. What story it would be for somebody that's never done gymnastics before to be able mm. to produce something to that level? So I think that you have to have some clear goals. Um, remembering it's third gymnastics. So, you know, you leave your ego at home. You check it in at the door. We go in. We're there to, you know, help them be the best gymnast that they can be. Um, I, I love people watching all the time at competitions. I love sitting in the crowd. I don't watch some of the gymnastics. I just like to see how the coaches are going, you know. Uh, mm. Do they get like a big high five when they come off? Is the coach upset, pulling up the hair? What's going on with that? So so that's something else that, you know, I, I think that we need to do. Um, checking your intensity as you go throughout the session, you know, from week to week, and especially when it comes to a comp build-up. You know, these kids feed off us. You know, we are like their example. So if we remain quite calm, then they remain quite calm. Um, the bit that I, I feel like I'm quite, I can be laid back. 
I know what I need to do. You know, I've got it all sorted out in my mind. And a competition, I think that a competition is definitely about getting the gymnasts at ease, letting them settle down. They have to be able to stand there. And we've done all of that build-up. So at that moment in time, we don't need to worry about that. We need to settle them down so they're actually used to getting into their rhythm. Um, and then just make time for yourself. That's the other thing that I've learned. I, I, I mean, I coach to a high level. Uh, I, I didn't have a holiday in seven years. And sometimes, you know, you, you, it's hard because you want so much out of these gymnasts, but remembering that they're still young. So mm. we need to try to make time for, for ourselves, our family time, and then everything gets on. If not, I mean, lots of people talk about coaching burnout. I think that it, it, if we're in the gym more than what the gymnasts are, and we want it more than what the gymnasts do sometimes, you know, and it's a little bit like a horse race with these kids. You know, one kid will get a little bit higher than the other one. And when that's regionally or if that's, you know, between two clubs, that's great, I think, because that, that competition spurs us on a little bit more. But, you know, we, we have to have a, an idea of where we're going with it. Mm, so many really good points. I want to kind of pull the threads on there and dive deeper. The first being is, you know, the clear goals piece, which is I think sometimes the most friction that I see occur when I consult with teams or federations or whatever is coach has one goal. Parent might have another goal gymnast goal changes as they get older maybe it was olympics elite fantastic amazing and it's like eh i kind of want friends i kind of want this or vice versa when they're younger they're like eh, i just like gymnastics for fun but they get a little high and like no i want to go real high level and so can you maybe speak to what how to how to navigate aligning those goals because it can be a lot of friction yeah i think i mean continue having having a good conversations with parents you know i i try not to whenever i do like coaching courses i say that it can't be like a a, a corridor talk you know make time to actually sit down with them and say you know what are your goals this is what mm. i can offer for you and we need to be honest with these people mm. you know we don't want to be saying yes i can do this i'll turn your your son into the next olympian you need to be honest with what their strengths are you know where are they going what do they want to be you know have they got any other things in life i mean over here quite a lot of the time when kids get to around about eight you know they're into football if we've managed mm. to keep them for a few years after and that's amazing then same sort of thing comes out when around 12 13 that's when they start to get hard for them so we need to make sure that we consistently check in with the parents. This is where they're going. This is what they're doing. Um, if they want a meeting about that, as I said, then we arrange a meeting. We sit down and we can actually thrash out a few things. But being honest with the gymnasts and also being honest with, you know, with ourselves, really, that's, mm. that's a, a massively important thing, I think. Yeah. And to that point, at least the second one naturally you mentioned, which is it's their gymnastics, right? And I, I know a lot of coaches are sometimes fearful of those really, you know, uncomfortable conversations when someone's 12, 13, they're, they're getting new ideas, maybe friends, maybe football, maybe whatever. And they might make a decision where gymnastics was fun when I was eight, nine, 10, but I kind of want to move on. And I feel as though that's where something gets a little sticky. Whereas if a coach is too attached in terms of like self-esteem or they're not letting it be their gymnastics, you know, everyone starts to move on to other things and they're offended when in my mind, I view that as like, that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, of course, I want them to be happy and do whatever they want. But some gymnasts, of course, will stay and they become like so much more self-motivated by, I know I love this. This is my gymnastics. I'm pursuing my own goals. I don't think you can, you can't push anybody anywhere. You know what I mean? You can't force anyone to do anything. And I think that's a hard realization for many coaches. Definitely is. I mean, sometimes you just need to understand that they're in it just because they enjoy it. And when, when that enjoyment starts to go, I mean, they could be our next best judge. They could be our next best coach. So over here, we've got quite a good uh, mentoring system. So they can start to actually do courses called a young leader when they're around about 12 years old. So mm -hmm. they can get to come into the gym when they're 14. They can do a coaching course. So it's great. But that's what we need to think. Just because they don't want to be training anymore, they might be able to help the next generation of kids come through. And I'm a firm believer of they are the best coaches. Mm -hmm. Without these amazing coaches that produce tiny little six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, they're not going to pass through our system to come to the 
high performance coach to be able to do all these things or college gymnastics in the States. Mm. And I love that, right? Because I have definitely noticed that as the sport has become more complicated, we need more people from different arenas, just coaches, right? Some of the best former gymnasts that I met who moved on maybe in high school became the best physios for gymnastics. Mm. They love gymnastics still, but they went to physio school or they became a strength and conditioning coach, or like you said, a judge or a coach. Like there are so many opportunities for someone to stay inside the sport and do what they find passion they love, but not be specifically a coach. And I think like as, as the sport gets more complicated, we need all those people, not just technical coaches, but everybody supporting the athlete, you know? Definitely. And what a great story is to be able to say that we were coaching this kid for four years and then they moved on to weightlifting and now they're so incredibly good. In, um, I, I coached in a gym called uh, Europa in London and mm-hmm. we actually used to have a ballet room where quite a few gymnasts were. They, they went over to the ballet side of it and we also used to have a powerlifting studio and that's where Zoe Smith was from. So she was a gymnast and the guy used to come in and talent spot these guys and say, oh, she's good. You know, she, she's, she can do these uh, elements and these patterns. And at the end of her gymnastics career, she went over there and then she went to Commonwealth Games and, and leading on to much bigger and better things. But Amazing. it's such a big platform to go to. Mm. And I think with that being said is like, you know, it's so cool, like you said, to have that story of someone who kind of has a rocket ship from gymnastics. It was their foundation. It was, you know, that kind of rises the whole sport as a whole, right? Which is, you know, people can start in gymnastics. They can stay, they can go to the elite level if they want, they can go to university or they could just do their four years and move on and find something else they love. And what an awesome place to have a common bond from, you know, like, oh, I started gymnastics when I was young and I found weightlifting. And then, you know, I went to university for weightlifting and now I'm a weightlifting coach and that's my, I love it. You know, that's awesome. That's it. And they'll always remember, you know, these guys will always remember if they see you in the street, you know, you were the guy that done this, that, and, that, and you helped me and so forth. You know, it, it, it's, it's such a powerful thing being a coach, I believe. It doesn't matter what it is, it, even if they're just with you. My thing always is I want to be able to support them the best I can support them. I need to be able to, like, nurture them through their either gymnastics or their growth or any problems coming along. Because we do spend more time with these kids normally what their parents do. By the time they leave school and then come straight to us, they're with us, what, four hours if they're an elite gymnast. So we need to think that we have quite a, a long, you know, impression on these guys. So mm. if they're going to be able to do that and then move on, I'd like them to enjoy them session. Hopefully they get something from the, my time with me. And then when they do part, you know, it's always on good terms. So it's on a great thing. So in terms of if, if we're knowing that they're not enjoying it, consistently checking in with these guys on how you're doing, what you're doing. It, it looks like you're not happy. You're not really enjoying things. What's going on? Help me out. Mm. Um and I think a lineup at the beginning, at the end of the session is a great way to figure that out. You know, you find out some amazing things. Maybe they're tired, so you need to ease off the session and ease off them a little bit. Maybe they've had a really good day and they're buzzing. You're like, well, today's the day you're going to catch that catch if Come on, let's mm. go. Mm. So it's quite a good thing. It's a powerful thing, powerful bond, I believe. I, I couldn't agree more. And I want to kind of double click on what you said about the, you know, maybe they're not in love with it anymore. And I want to go back to that, that concept of coaching burnout. I myself for sure had some periods where I was really burnt out in coaching. And I think after the pandemic and kind of the industry of gymnastics right now is a lot more people are finding themselves a little burnt out, exhausted. They're not mm-hmm. quite as in love as they were. And I get a lot of messages from coaches saying like, you know, my, my gym or the environment's not the same, or I'm just not feeling it anymore. And I'd love to maybe hear your thoughts on, you know, let's first start with why do you think coaches maybe go through that burnout? I have my thoughts, but I'd love to see, you know, what you believe. I think quite a lot of the times, as I said, like if their their values sometimes or with you know where they're going, what do they want to do? Quite a lot of the time, you know, as I said, we've all got like this impression of where we want to go as a coach. Mine, when when I was younger, never was. I'm a different coach. 
I've probably changed my coaching style of the, like 101 times. <laughs> but knowing what your goals are and why you're there, if your goal is always to try to go to Olympics and you're working with eight-year-olds, then that's a very long, long, long thing to think about. So sometimes some people get fed up that. Sometimes a change is good. Quite a lot of the time, we're so invested in these things and our calendars are so full. We've got this competition and we've got this national squad and then it's this trial and this. We're in the gym all the time and there is no time for us to have holidays to ourselves. And sometimes, without knowing it, I feel like we reflect a little bit and we kind of like, we don't hold it as a grudge. But, you know, we want it sometimes more than what the gymnast does. The gymnast wants to be able to come and enjoy that stuff, think about that competition and then have a bit of a, you know, a, a break. Whereas we're going, oh, you can do that, but we've then got this competition. And if you take mm. this two weeks off and, and everything else, it's quite hard. Mm. When I first started coaching, I I, um, I knew what I was doing in terms of coaching. I know how to coach and I had to bring the best out of people, I think. I, I've had some fantastic mentors going through my time in Barry Colley and good friends with Eddie Van Hoof and Lee Walls and everybody else. And, and I know how to do that. But the bit sometimes that I wasn't good at was when to ease off them a little bit. Now, I was consistently going this, 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 this. And sometimes I was like, well, let's not do that. Sometimes we used to do a competition two days later in the gym. And I learned, well, rather than just say to have two days off, three days off, you know, your transition period, whatever it is, it's different for everybody. Bring them in, have an easier, lighter session, maybe play a game at the end, do something, you know, enjoy that rather than being so intense all the time mm. throughout it. Mm. Um, so that's one aspect, I think. The other bit was COVID did hit everybody hard. And that, that, at that aspect when we were building up some kids had never done a competition and then they come back a year and a half two years later and they they were on it and they you know they had no experience mm. and that was also really really hard for us you know over here we weren't allowed to support them we had to wear masks and that was quite hard for us especially if people you know needed to be supported or guided or something along those things so that was quite tricky for us also i believe we just mm. need to need to remember you know what is what is the goal yeah be honest with yourself that, that yeah. long drive, I'd done it for seven years, that long drive home was amazing because I had an hour when I was by myself and I could just reflect and go, well, why couldn't he do that? And sometimes mm -hmm. I was so caught up on the moment, why couldn't he do that? It was like something like, well, why, you know, what, what did I do? Mm -hmm. Should I have eased off him a little bit and gone, okay. When you can see him struggling, he's, he's failed three, four attempts. Rather than mm. say, well, we're here for another 20 of us, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you two more goes. See if we can do it in two more goes. And if not, we're going to come back to this later on because this was so good. You know, mm. you always make a good thing out of something. Mm. That's great. Well said. And I love that self-reflective point. I can, you know, piggyback on that and saying that I think my sense of burnout and what I see in other coaches, one is I very much... Uh, was attaching my sense of self-esteem, like almost as a human to the performance of my athletes that I was working with. Right. And for me, a big progression was decoupling my sense of self-esteem and my, you know, like worthiness, I guess, as a person, not to the waxes and wanes of a, of a gymnast performance. Like if we had a lot of athletes who made nationals or went this level and got a great score, I was like, Oh, this is great. But if the team wasn't doing well and people were kind of having a rough patch, I was like feeling bad about myself personally. So I found that decoupling my sense of self-esteem and, and kind of taking a step back to your point, which is like, why am I here? I'm doing this because I, I enjoy helping the kids and I want to help them grow and develop and keep them in the sport. And, you know, if we get gymnastics along the way, that's great. And that really took a lot of pressure off my shoulders. And to that second piece you mentioned is having pretty work clear work boundaries, you know, like I'm working these hours and I'm doing this, but I want to have other hobbies. I want to go do other things. I want to have other interests, right? Like if you just spend all your time in the gym, nonstop all the time, it's really hard to have anything else outside the gym and you're just at the mercy of the, the way the waves swing, you know? So that, that's my two cents. I'm not sure if any of that resonates with you. 
No, definitely in terms of it. Like, but we sometimes, and this is like, it's not an ego aspect, I think. But quite a lot of the time when we are there, and as you say, they do so well and you're standing there. And we go to this competition, they win these medals and we are high and we're with, it's amazing. And then you have like a little come down when you're like, oh, yeah. I'm back to the gym, I'm teaching four drills. Or this person isn't in for rec tonight, so you have to coach it. You're like, oh, right, brilliant. But there's lots of times, you know, we're going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. But remembering that, once again, it's their gymnastics, it's not our gymnastics. Mm-hmm. We're pretty much along for the ride and we're going to help them out as much as we physically can. So yeah. not to feel bad if, if somebody falls off beam, falls off bars, you know, they didn't do it on purpose. There's no point in us getting angry about that or having some sort of attitude about that. You know, we need to build them up for the next piece. And then in mm. three, four, five days later, we'll discuss, you know, what happened there. Mm. Maybe it was a simple fact is that they hadn't been doing their programs as much as we liked it. Leads on to other conversations, you know, was the program too hard? Do you, do you, would you like to change something? So, yeah, I just think, remembering it's their gymnastics, it's, it's their accolades and we're there and we're there to support them. And we can't support them if we're in a in a temper about something or, if, if you know, if we've got some feelings about it ourselves. Sure. That that idea that you can be super passionate, but not dependent right on it. Right. You can be biggest mm. coach, biggest cheerleader, be really excited and, and want it just as much. Right. I view this as like a, a, a group connection towards a common goal. Like you're in a joint partnership towards a common goal you both have and you can be fired up and excited about it. But it doesn't mean you have to be dependent on that for your sense of happiness and self-esteem. Of course, it comes and it goes. Disappointments happen. That's a passionate coach. But yeah, I think there's a very clear line there between needing it and being excited about it. You know. Yeah, definitely. And then moving on to that, I think I'd be remiss to not uh, dig into technically. I feel like people love the macro for session, but they want to understand some bits and pieces about specific apparatus. So I'd love to maybe pivot the conversation and talk specifically about your, your thoughts on vault. Because I know that's kind of a topic you're going to be uh, sharing some information on for the symposium. So I'd love to maybe start with just at a high level. Like, what do you think goes into making high level vaulters? Is it power? Is it technique? Is it, you know, just this relentlessness of power that just somehow is God given? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I think it changes as they go through. I mean, if you could say what would make what would be the attributes to an amazing vaulter is like spending lots of time on it, spatial awareness. Like my favorite things in life, doing some running drills. So but mm. lots of people like they they try to push them on too far. You know, they're a tiny little guy, a little girl, and they're trying to get over a vault. That's one meter ten, one meter twenty, it's bigger <laughs> than them. So so take the fear out of it. Let's get them running. Let's get them hitting the springboard properly. Lots of plyometrics drills, lots of things where they're going to be able to jump, you know, from high-level things. Need to get their bodies ready. We have got the power aspects. Yeah, they need to be able to run down the vault one, uh, be, be as fast as they can two minutes before a springboard, and they need to get off it in handstand. The way that you're going to go around that is different things. Yeah, we can use lots of slopes off the off the um, tumble track, lots of springboards. Mm. I do lots of um, trampoline works. They're used to being uh, spatial aware, they sound, they know where they are. Um, picking the right vault for these guys. Mm. So if somebody's you know not that great at going backwards, then you really wouldn't want to be teaching them Yuchenko when they're young, when they're older. And they understand that pattern of movement a lot better, then that's excellent. But if they prefer to go forwards and do things along the lines of Yamashitas, these mm. vaults will then build up to doing things like our um, Kazamatsus, our, mm. our suits, our court runs, and everything else. So, in terms of, yeah, like I, lo- I love running drills and I love a good handstand bounce. Mm. And the main and, thing and- for me when they're younger. After that, it's playing. Don't, don't get them on the table too quick. Let them just run down the, the tumble track. Get a springboard a few times. Let's get them getting a nice block. Let's not get them any, you know, any fear. 
Mm, that's great. And I definitely want to first start on maybe uh, a sensitive subject for some people is that I mean, a lot of gymnasts who don't know how to run. And I think it's hilarious because we have a lot of people come to our facility and they've never been taught how to run. Their arms are all over the place. You know, their legs are flopping all over. And believe it or not, there's a really, there's a good way to run. You know, there's like Olympic level sprinters sprint a certain way for a reason. And I feel like that's sometimes yeah. hard for coaches to understand is that there's a specific way to run. So could you maybe chat a little bit more about why that's so important? I think in terms of just the pattern of movement, we've got a limited time and we can get from the top of the vault down to the bottom of the vault run. And we need to do it as like, they have, they're going to have an optimum run. Depend on the vault that they're going to do. Like we've got some great runners over here. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Daniel Purvis, best mm. runner in the world. He used to run straight arms, but he used to do an, an amazing two and a half. So yeah. an optimum run, it doesn't need to be sprinting as fast as they physically can. For me, mm. they, as I said earlier, they have to be, at the fastest space two minutes before. Some people will say we've got a, a strength and conditioning coach that says you have to sprint from the top of it and then you're going to maintain that speed. I don't necessarily agree with that. As mm. long as they're at the fastest by the springboard, I don't really mind where they are in the middle or at the top. You've got roundabout for my, my, my sense of feeling six steps to start to build mm. onto that and be as fast as you physically can before you hit the mm. bottom. Mm -hmm. we're, we're going to encourage a long, low jump. So that's why I say around about two meters away from the springboard is going to be when they're at their fastest space. Like um, that. Yeah. And then sometimes I think just, just us, we're, we're inherent. We've always done it like this. And, but we need to like learn from these other sports. What, what, how do you run? Do you run on your toes? Do you run mm. like, do you go heel turn? You have a nice gate going along. Um, I, my gymnast journey is not bad and vault. I'll have to mention that. <laughs> but he did when he was younger, run from side to side. He zigzagged across. So then we had to put like blocks there and we had to learn. You know, I Googled so many running jewels, putting bits of foam across the track. We started off five meters and then seven meters and then 10 mm. meters and then 15 meters. And those things are great, especially if you're coming back from injury. Because mm. if you understand the pattern of movement at where you need to be and how you how long your stride is going to be, then that's great. Um, if we ever look at videos from years and years ago when people are trying to do vault runs and their knees are up by their ears, that's not the best. That's not the quickest they are. They're lovely stag leaps, but we can really get down the vault that quick. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that, right? I think they're learning from other sports. I think running is probably the most uh, a timely example of that, right? There's very, there's very clear ways of how to get more power down the runway, and we should lean on those people. And, and yeah. the next thing that comes to mind for me is, with faster runs, with more power, I think that leads me to the conversation, whereas vault is one of the most terrifying things for young gymnasts, right? Because you're just sprinting as fast as you can at a stationary object, and then you have to flip and land. And I feel like I luckily was not as uh, fearful. I was talking to Will about how high bar was my nemesis. I was terrified of distance, but vaulting was not that. Do you have athletes who really struggle with that fear aspect of that ma that maximal amount of power going over the table? Oh, massively, especially like I mean, they don't throw their head out for a reason. They don't think I'll mm. look up at the ceiling. They're trying to see where they are sometimes. <laughs> they are too scared and they're looking around for everything. So what we try to do is when they're younger, we try to build on that. So lots of running drills, lots of running drills when they're going to run into a map. They, they, mm. they are going to run out in a movable object. So they need to try to make sure that they're happy for that. They don't normally they slow down when they get into a springboard. So we want to encourage that to speed up. So sprints, races into the pit, you know, put mm. in a, a big block against the vault so they can run up the block and jump into the pit, time it, lots of games like that. That's always good. Um, not rushing these vaults. So as I said before, rather than putting them over a table at an early age, let them play on two springboards and play over a wedge or a pack slice or something without worrying anything else. Most of the mistakes we are going to see I believe are from the springboard. 
you know, they've done this vault that many times, they understand how to pop off. But if they have the springboard that's too hard or too soft or their steps are wrong and they're trying to take off more at the bottom of the vault, where they, they're used to being in the middle or maybe at the top if they're young, that's when the mistakes come along. So mm. doing lots and lots of drills, lots and lots of preps, they understand it, they know where they are. Um, lots of exercises, piled up mats, as I said before, like, We've all seen people trying to get over a vault and they're too small for it. You know, give them time, let them grow. Mm. I remember being in a clinic and I heard this, this quote, I forget who it was from, but essentially he was saying that 70% of the vault success is the run and hitting the board well. And people think it's the opposite, which is 70% is the flip, right? And I, I very much remember that pivotal moment of him saying, no, 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 the flip is what happens. The first two pieces that people are missing out. So they'll do flip drills and flip drills and twist drills, but they won't fix a run, fix a board tension. And then that's, you know, that it's like a reverse effect. I, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. That, I completely agree. So in terms of it, there was in 2009 a World Championships, the O2. Jim Novi changed the springboard and made them stronger. And mm. everybody was wondering as to why they weren't doing that vault. It was nothing to do with, with you know, the autonomy of getting off the vault in handstand. It was the run-up and it was the springboards were that solid that they weren't giving away that much. So then they were leaning onto it. So mm. for me, uh, a good friend of mine, Nick Banton, used to say it's like stepping stones. If everything works out the way before, then when they get off the vault, it will be easy. And they've done mm. that vault that many times. It's not a problem. But if they do jump too low on the springboard or or miss that takeoff point or they've missed that block, then that that's going to cause issues. But, yeah, that's why I don't like to rush. Lots of running drills, lots of being able to take off long and low onto the board to get mm. the best result. And then mm. that will look after itself. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think I'd be remiss not to ask about uh, the steps themselves, right? Because I think a lot of coaches struggle with how many steps are they closer? Are they farther? Where do they start? And I find some coaches like in, in the moment will just be like, we'll move two steps back with no rhyme or reason <laughs> at all. And so I'm, how do you find someone's steps from a young age? Is it natural? Is it a set number in your head you're a goal for? Or? If I'm honest, when they're really young, I try to get them to be able to do their vaults with step 10 steps. So if they're going to do a run and a hurdle and a straight front into the pit, there's nothing like a good straight front for them to understand how not to lean forwards on the board to take <laughs> off to drive the hills and everything else. Yeah. So I tried to do 10 steps and then I build on that going backwards. We know the maximum length of run that they're going to have. Um, and I, I was doing a course last week and this guy said, we're talking about steps and he was a pole vaulting coach. And he said to me, do you know that normally a running step is round about 15 steps? And I never knew that. Mm. So you learn something new yeah. every day. But when they yeah. say take two steps, like how big does your step need to be? You know, I, mm. I said earlier, like looking at when I was a kid, watching these people do these gigantic steps that weren't really getting anywhere. You know, their shoulders were backwards, their feet were in front. So that optimum um, step, the, the, the optimum um, length of that stride is, is key to it. No mm. more that is striding it out. But yeah, when a young 10 steps build on that and then get faster and faster and faster. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then with that, if somebody gets uh, gross, right, they're longer and they get a lot more powerful, do you have to adjust a little bit and recalculate that as they get maybe like from 10 to 15 years old where now they're this fully grown human who's running a lot harder? Definitely. I mean, I, I've listened to sometimes and I've watched these guys like grow up, you know, Joe Fraser never used to be able to, to, to jump on a vault. We used to call him Bambi. <laughs> and he's amazed now. But we used to look at it and all the time we're constantly figuring out, you know, has he grown? Does he need to make his steps a little bit longer? Where does he need on the board? And it used to be a standard joke between me and his 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 coach Lee Walsh, you know, where does he have it? Joe would say, oh, put it on 70. He doesn't have it on 70 people, put that 65. Right, put that 65. Was that on 70? Yeah. And then next week we come in, put it on 72.5. I'm like, what, what even is that? But do you want me to get tape measure out and do it that precisely? But all the time, yeah, you're re-evaluating it. How is it going to be? Uh, and then for me, just not rushing it. A great, 
a great voting session for me. I don't believe you have to come in and do 20 volts. Mm. I think that, you know, we're going to have a look at how many volts can they do before they get too tired. So we have a benchmark for that. And then what's the ratio like? So if that's five volts and that's five volts, but a bit before it is how do they warm up for that? And what do they do? Have they got some good just running drills when they run down? Do they run down and do they squat on? Uh, I love watching how people warm up. Do they go down and do they do a nice straight front over the table? Do they do a straight jump onto it from a, sh a short step? Um, going through some of our earlier competitions, you know, we, we competed in the Youth Olympics against uh, Nikita Nagorni. He was doing amazing drags and double fronts and everything mm -hmm. else. So to watch how he was doing and how he was warming up in terms of just getting a springboard and from three steps at the back of the podium, three steps, double front, half out, that's amazing. You know, it's, it's great to watch these guys, but all the time you're consistently, you know, let, let's try this, let's see if we can move that step back. But without even worrying about can he do a double twist in Kaz, is he brave enough and is his run right for him just to do a straight front over the table? Mm. I'm really happy you mentioned that point about not just doing 20 vaults because I think that's common practice here. Sometimes I see a lot of gyms that just do 10 vault a night because we do 10 vault a night and that's the way to do it. But like vault is brutal, man. Vault is such a high force thing and it goes with so much strain on your body, particularly when you have kids that are like eight to 12 years old, 14 years old, they're not fully developed yet. Right. So all it takes is one of those landings to make an ankle not feel awesome. And I, I, I just worry about sometimes people just hear 10 volts is 10 volts because it's 10 volts and there's no rhyme or reason about that. And I feel like longevity wise, that's, that's a not great. <laughs> Definitely isn't. So in terms of like, how, how did I know 10 is too much or too little? You know, you might have some people that are made for vault and they love doing vaults and some people like doing pummels and some people hate doing pummels, mm. but the news, everybody needs to be treated slightly differently. So if we've got a benchmark as to how many can he do, how many landings can he do? I mean, vault to me, vault is vault. So Maybe, what, what's wrong with doing five volts and then doing double fronts off the trampoline into a pit, double front and a half out, ready for our drag and our handspring front? Mm. So there needs to be a reason as to why you've said 10. And it can't just be because I listened to this guy last year and he told me I need to do 10. You know, have mm. a benchmark. How many times can he sprint down there before he starts to get tired and his run up then turns slow and then he can't get mm. off the springboard quick enough? Mm. Or on that point, because we have 45 minutes on the clock for this rotation and I got to fill 45 minutes. <laughs> not, not, that's, not, that's not a good one either um okay so i love this conversation and i think the next natural progression is vault is very unlike other events where you have 35 skills you can work on and ideas so i'm curious about what you would maybe do with younger gymnasts in particular who the attention spans low the monotony is high you know it's really not the most exciting thing to do front handspring front handspring front handspring or timer 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 i know a yeah. lot of young coaches struggle with the, the younger boys I like to try to mix it up a little bit, if I'm honest. I, in terms of vault, and it is one of my favorite pieces, um, I, I understand it, I, I, I hope, quite well. But I only actually vault maybe two times a week, maybe mm. three times maximum. So for me, as long as in a session they do the key points, which is going to be a high bar, which is going to be pummel and some sort of acrobatics every session. Yep. Um, if we don't hit, hit vault in a session, then we're going, we'll do lots of stuff on trampoline. We'll play games, we'll do some landings, we'll do some stuff into the pit. Um, but I don't believe that they have to go down every single time. And, and mixing it up, maybe playing games, doing something different, is going to you know, encourage them to you know, continually love this sport for a start and not get bored of it. And, mm. yeah, I mean, how many times can you do a handstand flat back before you go, oh, you know, I don't want to do it anymore? <laughs> so true. <laughs> Vivid memories of myself just being bored out of my mind. I can, that's why I'm laughing so hard. Um, <laughs> so with this, I guess the next progression of this would be, I think vault, 
given what we talked about with really high forces and really high risk is a lot of coaches don't really know when, you know, hard is okay or when competition is okay. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts around this looks pretty good. We're, I, know, I know a couple of coaches are like, we have to do it to a certain level above the floor before I feel comfortable putting it on a hard surface. Do you have any rules of thumb like that or no? I, 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 can't, I do and I don't. For, for my, my, my thinking behind it all is we have to have two mats above, above the high up the ground. So one more mat higher than competition if we're going to add on an extra half turn. So mm. if we're going to do a, a full twist in cast, if they want to do one and a half, then rather than say, let's do 20 in the session, can they do it onto a softer mat? Can they go higher? That then gives them enough time to wrap in that extra half twist rather than mm. anything else. I think that we rush quite a lot of the time from the pitch stage to the comp stage. Mm-hmm. Once again, for me, it's like if they can do that and we've had that slow, gradual build up and they've done it into the pit and we've put a soft mat in and it's a bit of a firmer mat. Um, try to be clever with your coaching. Can you turn the mats the other way up? You know, the competition mat. So it's got the soft side onto the hard mat. How mm-hmm. many times are they doing that before, you know, you then say, right, let's go at it. Let, let, let's go at competition level. Um, it, it's, I, I think that if that's rushed and there's one mistake, there's one injury, then you're going back six months. Mm. So to build all those things up to then get from that competition stage is, is quite key. Um, we, sometimes we forget about the, the, the psychology behind all of it, now, especially if it's a competition I've done it before. So a few times we've actually turned up something that I learned from Barry Collies. You turn up, you do your warm up, you actually warm up in the back gym or maybe you do it, but you don't actually compete it. So you're actually getting used to it. You know, you know what you're going to do. You know that you're confident enough to do that vault and then you do something a little bit easier. And that's for me mm. a, a major step. I think quite a lot of time we miss. We mm. go into these things, you know, like um, Europeans when the Gorney done triple pike on floor and everyone's, oh my God, is he going to do it? He'd done it in a warm up and then he probably didn't really feel like he needed to do it. He wanted it in the code, so he'd done it, but he's probably not going to do it again. So he's been through that psychological stage of, Mm. To get it from mat into pre-comp into comp into then I've done it and I'm easing off. So mm. the, the, the putting two mats down is great and it's now high enough, brilliant. But it's still that stage when you're by yourself out of bottom for vault one, and you've still mm. got to attack it with you know 100 commitment. So that's the bit that I'm more you know, I, 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 right. I tend to spend more time on. Yeah. And I've never actually heard that little tip that you just mentioned, which is like, you know, warming something up at a competition setting, but not actually competing the full difficulty. What a brilliant way to, you know, expose someone to a little bit more stress, a little bit new equipment, new place, you got to travel, you know, you got to warm up in different equipment, but you know, you can still get that little bit, but not the full thing. That's a great way to, you know, rehearse these things. But then when time comes, when a judge is on you, it's only you, maybe the meat's rotating a lot slower. You sat for 20 minutes when you weren't ready for it and you don't have to do the, you don't have to do the full thing. That's a great plan going into it. And we're going to warm this up, but do, you know, it's just a full or something like that. I love that. Yeah, that's it. It just takes some of some of the intensity away from it. But I mean, it, if, if you put it onto another piece, if it was like a double-double on the floor for the first time, actually mm. do it in a podium session. That's a great step. And let's move forward. Mm. Um, and the stuff you highlight there is great. We, we sometimes don't factor in in our pre-comps or our control training that you're going to sit there for 20 minutes while somebody else has it. You know, so what are you going to do? Maybe that's not ready. Maybe the P-bar us have broke something see all the time you have to do it i quite like in terms of thinking about it the mental state of it like stopping the gym if you've got that power and you don't mind and you know everybody's in it to, to help everybody out stop the gym get guys to come over and watch put him mm. under that little bit of pressure you know because mm. him being able to do that vault is great but when he's being stared at when the judge is there when other people are there then that's a completely different matter mm. Totally changes everything. And I think 
the last piece I want to naturally go to on this concept of batting halves is I think vault is a, an all too common piece where the twisties creep up quite a bit. You're going from a half to a full, full to one and a half, and all of a sudden you get someone who blocks and is lost, and now they're they're completely up there, up their different way. And I feel like unfortunately sometimes it gets like a we'll figure it out, we'll do more, we'll do more. And I don't know if that's the solution. You know, I don't know if that's the best way forward. So have you dealt with someone who has new twisties or? Yeah, I mean, in terms of it, quite a lot of time we used to get it on on floor. Um, mm. Somebody would come down, especially boys being boys. Somebody's about to run down and do a straight front. Somebody would go twist, and I do a half turn out or something. It's for me. It's about how you're going to go backwards and then build up from that. I don't mm. think doing more and more and more and more is the way forward. I don't think that helps. Sometimes, in, in fact, it actually gets worse. So there are ways of getting out of it. For me, if we're on floor and they've got the twisties and they can't do as tuck front, I ask them to do a dive roll. And nine mm. out of ten times, that's quite well for me. And you're going to do a dive roll and you get higher, 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 and you're going to set your expectations quite low. That's not a, a one session that's going to change. On vault quite a lot of the time, you know, over here we call it lost in space, but they hit the table and then that's much of a, a, of a desire to do the vault. They throw their head out, they, they just see stars and then they're, they're all of a sudden on the floor. So where is it going wrong for them? You know, it should be quite visual. For me, when they block off the table, they should be looking towards the end of the vault one and then everything is visual. From when they come through, they see the pit, or they see the track, and then they're looking at the back of the vault. So those key things, are you seeing this when you actually do that vault or that tumble? Some mm. people don't see it. I mean, like my gymnast Johnny, we were talking once about when you catch a Coleman, so like a Kovacs with a full twist on the high bar, and we were doing it for ages, and you could do it really easy. We're building up to the 2016 Olympics, and we said, well, it's the same as when you do your triple-double on the floor. What do you see then? He said, I don't know. I shut my eyes. Oh, so God. It's, 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 and he'd done it and he competed the first junior I believe in the world to compete triple double on uh, 2016 but like what do you do like, some people hear things and now they hear the rattle off the chain or they hear the, the, the top or, or something else some people see things some people can just automatically feel it Johnny can just feel it he knows where he is in the air and that's amazing but we can't teach that to that kid the same as what we can do to another one you know they're all different people they all my old martial arts instructor used to say, "You've got a padlock. It's best to have ten keys, and then you'll always Ooh. be able to open up." No, I'm just saying you've got this one technique, and you've got this one thing. Go at it. And lots of different techniques to go around. Those things are great. Mm, that's great. And I think something you mentioned earlier too was the opportunity to use trampoline and softer surfaces. There's so much training equipment that you can put into a pit. You can put into a softer surface where you can slow it down and see where am I looking? What do I see? You know, is it the pit? Is it the ground? Is it the end of the table? I think there's a lot. You can get a hundred reps there, you know, just like softer surfaces and nice and easy. Yeah, definitely. Or even things like if you've, if you've got to do vaults and you really do want this magical number of 10, then why don't you just give them a trampette? Give a trampet and lower the, the, the table so they actually have to attack it and they have to get the hands down quicker so they don't miss that, that takeoff point. So there's lots of training aids that we can use. Um, just research. It's easier now than what it used to be years ago. You know, it's quite hard to find it. Now you can just jump on YouTube or onto the shift show and you can have a look and see what they all are. <laughs> Cheers. I appreciate the shameless plug there. <laughs> So to uh, to wrap things up here, I think it's best just to maybe uh, share what we're coming for. I think you have two lectures we're going to do for the symposium and maybe just add on the vault one and what people can expect and, and kind of what to learn from you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it actually. So I've got two lectures, so two of my favorite pieces. So we've got um, Kazumatsu on vault. So on that, we're going to learn what is a Kazumatsu. There's different ways, different people. Um, I'm, I'm lucky world and seeing different people coach it a different way some people teach it um as a side some sort some teach it forward some people backwards so understanding the actual technique or different techniques so you know we can 
going on to a few different people. So that's going to be great on Vault. How to get from just basics to the final skill. It's going to be awesome. Mm. And then we've mm. got PBAS, and I've got Stutz and Diamandoff. So mm. all of the stuff that's kind of come up into quite high level. Um, we, we teach these quite a lot of the time. I think when gymnasts are around about 12 to 13. Um, so, yeah, it, I'm going to share some preps. Rather than just doing the whole skill globally, we're going to break it down so we can do it sequentially, some preps on the floor, using trampoline as an aid, and then leading up to the final skill. It's amazing. I can't wait. I'm spoiled because I get to see a lot of these things before anybody else does, and uh, I'm excited. I'm, I love that we have a lot of really amazing uh, men's speakers, you know, yourself, Luke, Will, really high-class people, and I'm excited to unleash that to the world, you know? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to watching the others as well. Yeah, I can't wait. It's, it's tough because that day has a women's and a, and a men's room. And I always want to jump back and forth between both to see. But but everything's recorded, so you can find anything you want after the fact. Yeah, it'd be cool. All right. Well, this is great. I really appreciate this little short step. I know you got a lot of places to go. You're probably running off the coach right now. So uh, I appreciate your time, Pete. And I'm really looking forward to you know the next couple steps here in the, in the symposium. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be cool. All right. We'll catch up soon, okay? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests you want to have on in the future. And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like, because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful. And that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it. And uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.